0: All right, good morning everyone. It's it's great to be here with you this morning in a different way than usual. Um, As Travis mentioned, I don't do this part very often, um, so it's always a little exciting and nerve-wracking to be up here during this part instead of sitting over there. (coughs) Um, But I am excited to be here with you this morning. And as a lot of people already mentioned this morning, but I wanted to mention again, I just think as we get ready to step into 2019, it's a great time to stop for just a second and kind of reflect back on what's happened over this past year of 2018. And I don't know about you, for me 2018 was a little bit of a rough one, but even though a lot of hard things have happened, a lot of incredible things have happened. Um, for one summit in just over a month, we'll be turning a year old, which as long as 2018 felt, it's incredible to think that we've all been here together for almost a year already. And so we've seen the body of Summit form. We've seen the body of Summit grow, which has been incredible. And so in light of that, I thought that it might be fitting for us to look at what the body of Christ looks like. What should we kind of be striving to look like? How should, what should we be doing? And I don't know about you, but I'm not always confident on where I fit into the body of Christ. There are some days where I have a ton of confidence that I fit into a certain spot. Yeah, I can do this. This is where I belong. And then the next day, I don't even feel qualified enough to help out with some of those things. And so, and it's real. some people's gifts are really easy to see. They're very apparent. People that have the gift of encouragement or a gift of hospitality, gifts like that, you feel them as soon as you walk through the door and 30 seconds into talking to a person like that. But other people's gifts aren't as apparent to us either because they don't serve us directly or we don't see them very often. And when that happens, it can, be, it can be easy to not place a very high value on those people. And it can even be the same with us. We may not know our own gifts and place a low value on ourselves. But even though we can't always see it in ourselves or in our others, each of us has a role to play, I believe, in the body. If you're here this morning, if you're a part of Summit, If God has called you to belong here at Summit, then I believe that you have a unique gifting that God has given you so that you can play a vital role in the function of our body here. And sometimes the problem is the opposite. Sometimes people's gifts are apparent to us, and we think their gifts are more important than ours. We think that they have greater value than us. And while I think we should value others as greater than ourselves, if we put too low of a value of ourselves compared to others, if we compare ourselves to others, then that starts to breed resentment and jealousy. Or maybe on the flip side of that, we think we have the gift. We have the gift that this church needs. We have the gift that's better than everyone else's gift. And we value ourselves above everyone else. And in Romans, Paul directly calls that out. He says, do not think of yourself more highly than you should. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, if you want to turn there, uh, that's where we're going to spend the beginning of our time this morning. Paul also talks about spiritual gifts and the body of Christ as a whole. So 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12, Paul writes, But that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So often I think about if we could just get that verse 26 right, we'd be in pretty good shape. Verse 26, where Paul says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, he doesn't say all the other members are jealous. All the other members don't care. All the other members wish it was them being honored. He doesn't say that. He says they all rejoice together. If we could do that, we'd be head and shoulders above everything else. And one thing that Paul's pointing out in this passage is that we're all different. And that that's actually a good thing. If there was someone, exactly, someone else exactly like me around here, then you wouldn't need me. And I don't know if I'd want to be here because I probably wouldn't want to hang out around him. But <coughs> you don't have to make those jokes. I'll make them for you. But it's so easy to get frustrated with people who are different than us. We get frustrated when people think differently than we do or have a different first knee-jerk reaction or that they have a different way of doing things. But those things aren't always bad, those things are are good. If we were all exactly the same, then we as a body would be ineffective. Because each one of us, each one of you is different. You can minister in a unique way that nobody else around you can minister. And we just read it in 1 Corinthians 12 that the eye can't just say, I have no need of the hand. Even if the eye doesn't see the value of the hand, the hand is still vital. And the ears can't say, oh man, if only I was an eye, then I'd belong. That wouldn't work. We couldn't function the way we're supposed to if we had four eyes and no ears. And again, Paul talked about if the whole body, body was an eye, then what? It wouldn't work. An eye on its own is weak. Have you ever gotten something in your eye? Imagine you had nothing to wipe it out with. As useful as the eye is, how useless would it be if it didn't have all the other members to work alongside it and take care of it? Some of our weakest parts in our body, and I believe some of the people who may be in the weakest places around us, perform some of the most vital functions. And God has made us each different for a purpose. He's gifted you uniquely to serve in a specific function within our body and within the larger body of Christ. And if any part of the body isn't performing its function or it's missing, then the rest of the body either suffers or has to strain trying to pick up the slack. And like me, some of you may struggle with knowing where you fit into the body. You may struggle to know what your gifting is. But if you don't know where you fit, you don't, if you don't know what your gifting is, then I would just encourage you to try serving In new and different ways. In ways you've maybe never even thought of before. In ways that scare you. Because you might be surprised to find out the ways that God has gifted you and how you could bless those around you. One way I thought about being able to illustrate that um, is by telling you a little bit of my story. I won't go super deep because that would take a long time. But if you had known me, well, if you know me now, you might call me quiet or reserved are pretty shy, but if you'd known me before I got serious about being in relationship with Jesus, before I found out that the gospel was really real and that it applied to me, then you would have found someone who avoided talking to people at all costs, someone who wouldn't be caught dead on a stage, especially alone, and especially talking or singing into a mic. <laughs> Or leading a Bible study or sharing my thoughts openly without being completely afraid of what people might think about them. And that when I get serious, when I was in college and joined a Bible study and finally started seeing that the gospel is for me also, that Jesus wants a relationship with me, a relationship with me, and loves me, all of a sudden I started to gain confidence in being able to do new things that I never thought I'd be able to do. And I think the same is for you. If you're following Jesus, if you're following after him, you need to know that he has gifted you in a specific way. You may not know it yet. Other people might be able to see it. Other people may not be able to see it but you should be confident that God has gifted you in some way to perform a vital function within our body. And you shouldn't be afraid to try something new just because you might fail. Because if you fail, first of all, there's grace for that. Second, you'll learn either how to do it a little bit differently or you'll learn something isn't your gifting. But I think it's important for us to serve. And I think it's important for us to serve together as one body and I'm not sure that we're ever more like Jesus than when we're serving. And as the body of Christ, we're called to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, going where Jesus would go, doing what Jesus would do, helping people, serving people. And I re- I really love serving. I don't know if there's anything else that feels quite as natural or quite as fulfilling as becoming a servant and helping someone else. And I don't think that I ever get a better night's sleep than after a day of serving others. And it, that may just be because I'm completely exhausted also. But I think it just feels right. It feels like I've done what I'm supposed to, supposed to do. And it can look different. It can be playing music somewhere. It can be watching kids. It could be feeding the hungry. It could be digging hole, post holes for a fence. Whatever it might be. There are so many ways that we can serve our community around us and serve our body. We can serve the body of Christ because I've been thinking lately a lot about how we're called the body of Christ, but the church also, all throughout Scripture, is called the bride of Christ. And I've wondered, well, what does that really mean? What does that look like? What weight does that carry? And I think it's important to note that if we're called the bride of Christ and the way that Jesus describes and Paul writes about marriage is that the groom is to care for the bride and protect the bride and so I think that's part of Jesus' job as the groom and I think he uses us to accomplish that a lot of times if we're his hands and feet then we should do his work in taking care of the bride as well I think scripture uses the, the metaphor of marriage in a lot of different places. All throughout scripture, the church is called the bride of Christ. And I, the metaphor in different places is used to help us understand how to behave in marriage and also how a marriage here on earth would teach us about how Christ loves us and is devoted to us. And I may be the most unqualified person to be here talking about it since I'm one of the only people that gets up here to talk that's not married. But... I think I've got a little bit of a handle on this part at least. And I've also, it, it's also hard for me sometimes to relate to what does it mean for me to be the bride of Christ because I would never picture myself in a wedding dress. So, But if we can get past that, and there will never be any pictures of that either. If we can get past that and look at the core of what that relationship means, what does that relationship between us and Jesus look like? I think we can really start to see the beauty of the metaphor there. Lately, I've been researching um, some ancient uh, Jewish marriage customs because I wondered, what would a marriage have looked like at the time when Jesus was here on earth? And what I found, I thought was pretty interesting. Um, And so, as best as I've been able to come up with is Back in the time when Jesus was um, on earth, a man would decide that he wanted to marry a woman. And he would go and he would talk to his father about it. And then he would go to her family's house. And he would negotiate a price. And that may sound completely unromantic or barbaric, but he wasn't, I'm sure there were times where it happened wrongly. But what he was supposed to be doing was negotiating a price for a chance to marry the woman. He wasn't actually buying her as property. If an agreement was reached on the price, then the woman still had the option to say no. Because to become betrothed, what they did is they had a ceremony and they would sit at a table across from each other and the groom would have a cup of wine that he would slide across the table to the bride and he would say something like, will you enter into this marriage covenant with me? She could decide not to drink it, say, No way. Or she could drink from the cup and say, Yes, I agree to enter into this covenant with you. At which point, after the ceremony, the groom would then leave for an extended amount of time. And there's, it's not super specific about how long it would be because what he was doing was going back home to build a place for he and his wife to live. And so, oftentimes, he would be, typically, it would be back to his father's house where he would build basically an apartment connected to his family's house. So that gives a totally new meaning to the, the word in-law apartment. But so the bride would be waiting for a groom to return and she didn't know when that would happen. She'd just be ready and prepared every day for him to come get her. And because the crazy thing is that the groom didn't even get to decide when he would go get his bride. It was up to his father to tell him, yeah, this is good, we're ready now, go, go and get your bride. At which point, he and the groomson would get together and they'd go to her house. They'd take her and they'd go to the wedding and then home. So I don't know about you, but this just ran a lot of parallels for me. I thought it was really interesting I started bouncing in my mind to all kinds of different places in Scripture of things that Jesus had said. One of those places being just back a chapter in 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 23. Paul's talking about the Lord's Supper, and he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it He sat with the disciples and he asked them to drink from the cup and asked to enter into this new covenant with him. The next day, he was crucified. He was hung on a cross. And the price that he paid for his bride was his own life. Before all this, in John 14, he had told his disciples that he'd be leaving for a while. In John 14, Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And so we're in that time period right now as we, we wait for the return to Je- of Jesus so that we can dwell with him for eternity. And Jesus even said in Mark, he told them that only the father knew the time of his return. In Mark 13, Jesus said, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. And so one one day, Jesus is returning to bring his bride home with him. And I think the question I have for us is, are we expectantly waiting for him? Are we prepared for his return? Or are we asleep? Are our lives basically the same as they were before we entered into the new covenant with him? Because I know for me, it's so easy to lose focus. It's so easy to fall asleep and and lose sight of, well, when is this actually gonna happen? Because right now, the the way I've looked at it in the past has been, well, it's been around 2,000 years now. How much longer is this gonna be? Like, is it gonna happen within my lifetime? Should I even keep preparing? And I, I love Peter throughout all of scripture. In a lot of ways probably because it makes me feel like it's okay to be a knucklehead and still be part of the body. But he has some pretty solid stuff in scripture too. In Second Peter 3, Peter wrote, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So God's not being slow the way that we count slowness. He's being patient with us, He's giving us time to prepare for his return. And we, I think a lot of us know what his desire is. His desire is for all to come to know him. And he's leaving us time to fulfill the great commission that he gave us before he left. He's giving us time and giving, and giving us patience to reach the ends of the earth or even just down to the end of our street to expand the kingdom of heaven, to bring more people in, to be ready and prepared. Further along in 2 Peter 3, Peter says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. And so if you've been here more than once or twice, you've probably heard Pastor Travis say something like, the body is most effective when the body ministers to the body. I think you could also say in light of these things that the church is most effective when the body of Christ cares for the bride. I think it's part of our job to take care of the bride of Christ while we're simultaneously the body and the bride. There are times when we're we're strong enough to serve and there are times when we're weak and we need help. And above all, I'm I'm so thankful that this is so much based on his faithfulness rather than my own because Like I said, I fall asleep so often. It's so easy to lose focus. And as I got ready for today, as I prepared, I kind of struggled to settle on what what to really bring out before you. Because I knew that I wanted to share some of these things, some of these things that I've been learning and working through. But I struggled with not wanting to just bring you information. And I think the point that I really want to bring about is Is this that if you don't know it yet, Jesus is crazy about you. If you grew up in Sunday school, it's probably one of the first things you learned, but if you didn't, I'm gonna tell you now that Jesus loves you more than you can even fathom. He loved you so deeply that he has chosen you to join, join him and carry on in the work that he began. He loved you so much that he offered his own life on the cross just to have the chance to spend eternity with you. If you don't know that this morning, I just want you to know that you are chosen, that you are loved by Jesus, that he has gone to prepare a place for you and his promise is sure that he will return one day. So with that, I would say let's, let's be awake, let's serve those around us here, those around us in our community and those throughout the body of Christ around the world that's and care for each other so that we can present the bride of Christ to him without spot and without blemish. So as the worship team comes up, would you just bow your head with me and pray? Father God, we, we know that so often we fall short, we fall asleep. Lord, that we're unfaithful Thank you that your faithfulness is unfailing. Thank you that your grace covers us, that your forgiveness covers our shortcomings. Lord, would you help us to be alert? Would you help us not to fall asleep? Would you help us to be taking advantage of the time and the patience that you're giving to us? Would you help us to move to action with a sense of urgency? Not out of motivation of checking a box, not out of a motivation of pride, not out of a motivation of trying to earn your love, but out of devotion and love for you, responding in the only way that makes sense in light of what you've done for us. Lord, give us a heart, give us a love for those that are sitting in this room, for those that are worshiping all over the world today, and Lord, for those who don't know you. We ask that your spirit would reveal the gifts that you've equipped us with and show us how to use those gifts for your glory. So Lord, we ask that you help us to be ready for your return. Lord, would you let us be found faithful? We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.